Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves. And I have to tell you, you guys, when I invited our guest, I was saying that there's so few people that I get really, really excited to talk to. And this is the first part of a two-part episode. We're going to be talking today with Mary Dukes, a very recently (sighs) retired American Kennel Club representative, executive field representative, and now today an AKC judge. And I am really excited to talk to Mary because she's one of my favorites. She's one of my idols from back in the day. I told Mary I used to have a particular Harvey Bernard jacket of which I was very proud. And I called it my Mary Dukes outfit. (laughs) Mary, when she was handling dogs professionally, was sartorial splendor at all instances. And I just envied that and I worshipped that. So this is exciting to me. So welcome, Mary. Thank you very much, Laura. I appreciate it. And I appreciate being here. Yeah, it's going to be great. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. This year, give your buyers the gift of peace of mind with a special go-home day offer from Trupanion. This offer provides puppies with immediate coverage so they're protected should they get into mischief in their new homes. Trupanion covers pets against unexpected accidents and illnesses with no payout limits, helping ease the financial burden when a pet gets sick or injured. Even better, Trupanion is able to pay the veterinarian directly at the time of checkout, which means less out-of-pocket for your buyers. You can get this special offer for your buyers as part of the Breeder Support Program. It's completely free to join and available for breeders in the U.S., Canada, and Australia. Getting started is quick and easy. Just follow the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com to get started. So give us the 411. I mean, some people maybe know you as an AKC executive field representative. Some folks may remember you from when you were handling or when you were breeding whippets. But give us a little bit of a background because yours is a fascinating history. Okay. Starting in dogs, I had showed horses as a kid. I was a horse nut to start. And then I actually got a ranch dog from one of the horse places and started doing obedience with her. And she was an Aussie Border Collie cross. So she was really, really good at it. But of course, being an Aussie Border Collie cross, she couldn't be shown. And I like to show all the things. So I started looking for a purebred breed and wound up with Quippets because I liked the way they looked. Now, if I had been thinking and I really wanted to be competitive in obedience, I would not have chosen a whippet because they learn fast, but they get bored really easily. Anyway, so I got into whippets. I got my first one in 1975. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's creeping up on 50 years. And for a very long time, I just was a breeder owner handler. You know, I mean, I just showed my first two, bred a little bit. And then the bitch that Isabel Stoffer sold me ended up being a gold mine. I mean, it was a much better bitch than I ever should have had as a new person. 
but I got lucky and got her. And she in turn produced multiple champions, including Della Creme de la Renta, who's one of the all-time top sires in the history of the breed. That was Oscar. And he was born in 1983. And then I started showing his puppies that people had bred. They'd asked me to show them. So the handling thing just sort of organically grew out of that. Mm -hmm. And then mainly just with whippets. And then people with other breeds started asking me. And so then that morphed into a professional handling career that went from probably the late 80s until I was hired by the AKC in 2005. Okay. And then I remember exactly yeah. when that was because we cross over on some of that. Yeah. So that's why I was trying to remember exactly because it was about that time that I moved to Nebraska. So that's how I kind of I'm like. Oh. Right. Yeah. Okay. August of 2005 is when I went to work okay. for the AKC. Okay. All right. So you um, also did some other fascinating things in your life. I did. I've done a lot of fascinating things. <laughs> Talk yeah. to us about the work that you did in the zoos, because I think that's really amazing and how it translates. Like, what did that bring you as a dog handler or a dog breeder? How I found out about it, I was graduated from high school, was showing dogs at this time. So I started showing, doing that in high school. Was going to Cal State Fullerton as an art major because I was good at it never thinking like, what are you going to do with this to earn a living? That hadn't crossed my mind. And I was reading the school paper, the Cal State paper, and there was an article in it about this school, Moore Park College, that's north of LA, that has one of only two programs in the country that train you to become a zookeeper. And animals had always been my focus. And I had always been fascinated by them. But, I mean, how do you become a zookeeper? How do you even find out how to do that, you know? So here was this article telling me, huh, there's a school. So I researched it and applied and got in. And it's a two-year program, really intensive. It's an AA program. But I'd already done all of my required stuff when I was at Cal State Fullerton. So I just was able to just take the classes that pertain to exotic animal management and training. And I tell you, the thing that it most did for me in terms of my career then later in dogs was it taught me that you can never cut corners in your animal care, ever, ever. That's the most primary thing. And in zoo animals, you have to be a little more on top of it because wild animals, there's not going to be a tell that they're sick or the tell that they have is really subtle. Because in the wild, any tell that they're sick or injured is going to make them a dead thing, you know, is going to make them dead. So they're really good at masking all that stuff. And I remember we had a vet course that was a really good vet course taught by a local vet who did the work at the compound, but he was also a small animal vet in the area. And I remember him saying that if you are sloppy or dirty or messy, there is no room for you in the animal business. And um, that always stuck with me. So I think probably I did work in the zoo industry for several years, first at Santa Barbara Zoo for a couple of years. And then I worked at the Philadelphia Zoo for about a year. Yeah, I worked at the Philly Zoo for a little while. But I think the long term thing that I carried and I worked with elephants, I worked with everything, which, you know, the elephants is an experience that I wouldn't trade for any amount of money. I mean, it was, they're so amazing. The elephants. I mean, I love them, but what was your favorite thing? They're incredibly smart. 
they make dogs look like, I don't know, amoebas. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but they're so scary smart. I remember working with the elephants thinking, I cannot even believe I'm getting paid to do this. You know, I cannot even believe they're paying me to work with an elephant. So that was fantastic. But again, I think the thing that I carry that I learned most from that whole experience is there are no shortcuts in animal care, period. End of sentence. And that doesn't matter if you're taking care of a bird or a fish or a dog or a horse. Cutting corners is unacceptable. So, and that's how we rolled. And you can so still roll your handling career. I can remember watching you show dogs and your setup was always like freaking immaculate. Yeah, it's tidy and they're clean and the dogs were always clean. And to this day, it slays me, which I will put this out there on blast now. If somebody walks into the ring with a dirty dog, we're going to have a problem, especially if it's a short-coated dog. And I see it all the time. Like, all you got to do is chain them to a fence and put a little dish soap on them and scrub them. You know, there's no excuse to show a dirty dog with some hard-coated dogs and you can't bathe them a lot because you want the care to stay hard. I get all that, but in like a, even a that, donation Mary, or a whippet. I did, and I'm telling you, a little Listerine and a towel, and it's really not a problem. It's not that hard. Yeah. So when I see somebody in a ring or if somebody brings me like a dirty Ridgeback, I'm not going to hold it against the dog, but the handler might get an earful about it. None of my dogs went to the dog show without a bath. Ever. Ever. And I mean, I can remember, I mean, for myself, multiple baths in the day. You know, if I've got a dog, it's, you know. Well, if you have hairy stuff. Yeah. 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 I clumber that I was constantly battling because he was such a pig. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. So you brought that to the American Kennel Club as an executive field rep, but you also then ran the registered handler program, RHP. Yeah. I was one of three coordinators. I was an RHP member when I was right. a handler. Right. I was one of the, you know, not very original, but I was an early member of the RHP. I had not joined any other handling organization previous to that because, frankly, I didn't think they asked enough. I didn't think they demanded enough of their members. And like nobody was inspecting the facilities. Nobody was making sure they had insurance. Nobody was doing any of that. You know, so for me, it was just sort of a joining any other organization at that time was just a figurehead. Yeah, Yeah, at that time, it was just a figurehead. It was PHA. Trust me, I got all the inspections. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the time when they were wanting me to join, it was like, well, here, just sign this. Just, you know, and then you'll be in. And it was like, well, so I wasn't comfortable with it. RHP brought PHA up, I think, brought their standards. I think it is a win-win. 100%. For everybody. Yeah, yeah. So when RHP came around and they did demand that you had care custody control insurance, you know, and your vehicles were getting inspected, and your kennel was getting inspected, and all that stuff was happening, I felt like I better put my money where my mouth was and sign up. So I did. And I was a member throughout my entire, you know, then the balance of my handling career. And then once I became a field rep, because I did have intimate knowledge of the program, and I was signed on as a field coordinator. So talk to our listeners who may not be familiar. Like I'm not sure that across the board, the average exhibitor, particularly the owner handler really understands what's involved in that little tiny pen you put on your lapel. 
I'm sure they don't. You know, and as much as we tried to get the message out. We're doing the message right now. Yeah. Well, it's not a guarantee that the handler's going to win with your dog. What it is, what the whole point of, I think, starting the program was, is so people would have a place to start looking where we had done some of the groundwork for you. So if you start with a member of the organization, you know that they are insured. You know that they have care, custody, and control coverage for your dog. You know that their vehicle is inspected for safety and for cleanliness. You know that their kennel has been inspected by AKC kennel inspectors. You know they have signed a code of ethics. And we have things, and I know PHA has the same too, like the whole service dog thing. I mean, for an RHP member, it's actionable. It's actionable if you fly a service dog with a phony vest that you bought on eBay, you know. So because that whole thing is just annoying as hell. Because it screws it up for people who legitimately need one. You know, and frankly, the people I see now when I'm flying with service dogs are just Joe Blow with their pet Fluffy. Yeah. I see a lot of that, you know. The thing that you know as a dog handler, as a dog owner, I'm going to hire a professional handler for my dog. And I can trust that these boxes have been checked. And I still need to see if I get along with them and this and that. And you still need to. Does RHP? I can't remember. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we do. But you have to have a contract. Yeah. I mean, I build weekly when I was a handler, mainly because early on in my handling career, it was better for my cash flow. Yeah. And then, frankly, all my clients got used to it. And it was easier for them to maybe have a three or $400 bill than a $2,000 bill at the end of the month, you know? So... But we don't have anything. But it does say you have to bill in a timely fashion. You have to provide a bill. It has to be itemized. They have to know what they're paying for. And you have to have a contract. And the thing that a contract does is everybody goes into it with their eyes open. Everybody goes into it knowing that if you cancel, you just decide you're going to move your dog from handler A to handler B after the close of entries, that you're obliged to pay the original handler that you made the commitment with. It just makes that very black and white because a lot of the trouble you see, because we got handler complaints at RHP about handlers that aren't RHP members. You know, we would just get this handler did this thing to me. And most of it is because the expectations weren't clear that they didn't know. And at least if you have it in contract, then it's right there. Everybody signed it. Everybody knows the person Right. But you can't say you didn't, you know, it's just a starting point. So everybody is clear on their expectations because sometimes you get a brand new client and they don't know what to expect. You know, they don't know. We had a complaint come in and it wasn't a member, but it was because he had decided after the entries closed for Brooksville, the whole thing that he didn't want to send his dog with that handler anymore. And so he got a bill for 10 days worth of shows and was peeved. Well, So if you are the handler, it's easier to get a judgment if you have to take them to court if it's on paper and they've signed it so they can't really say that they didn't know what to expect. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, crew. 
Did you know that you can earn money for your National Parent Breed Club through the Purina Parent Club Partnership Program? Honestly, this is just an amazing program that's raised more than $8 million for canine health research, judges' education, and rescue since it began in 2002. It's easy to participate. Members of Purina Pro Club sign up by designating their National Parent Breed Club through their Pro Club account or at any Purina-sponsored event. When members submit receipts for qualifying Purina pet foods, Purina matches 10% for every dollar earned in Purina points. Half of that goes directly to the parent club and half to the AKC Canine Health Foundation to be used for breed-specific health research. Clubs have used their funding to support scholarships, youth programs, and breed rescue. PPCP is a win-win program that truly benefits dogs everywhere and those who love them. If you want to learn more, visit PurinaProClub.com backslash about backslash partnerships. I'm telling you, this is my very favorite program. I love this and I want you guys to check it out too. So the flip side of that is to the young up and coming handlers. Why do they yeah. have RHP? I always say, why wouldn't you want to if you qualified? And that's kind of how I looked at it, that I was proud of the fact that I did all those things, you know, that I had all those things, that I met all those criteria. We also have another one that's the most recent one that we've added on is Safe Sport. And yeah, all of our members come to that. That's my next. Oh, yeah. I see, you read my mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of an important one. And I'll tell you how this came about. A few years ago, I was in Orlando, the Orlando shows, and Carissa Champagno came up to me and she said, you know, I don't know if it's because I now have a daughter. She goes, I don't know what it is, but I am now so protective of the girls that work for me and my own daughter. And she says, and I see, I mean, historically in every field, we're not certainly the only one, you know, there's been a lot of abuses, a lot of abuses. So she was talking to me and she said, I just wish there was something else we could do. So I knew about Safe Sport. If you don't know what Safe Sport is, Safe Sport is a congressionally mandated program that was developed by, I don't know if it's the Olympic body. It applies in a United States government standpoint. It applies to every sport that is an Olympic sport. Okay. So I was familiar with it. I didn't realize it was from Olympic. It's No, think gymnastics, swimming, diving, you know. Yeah, Yeah, all that. Yeah, so that's where it originated. Really probably was the gymnastics. Yeah. Which Lord knows they've had plenty of problems. It's a congressionally mandated program for every sport that is an Olympic sport. And this goes all the way down to the junior levels. You know, I mean, if you talk to some people whose kids are, and I've talked to them, whose kids are swimmers, you know, who do swimming competitions, all those coaches have to take safe sport. They have to take safe sport. The parents have to take safe sport. And I was familiar with it because my daughter's a professional horse trainer. Right. And to show at USEF shows, U.S. Equestrian Federation, you have to take it. You have to take the original program and you have to re-up every year, every year, if you want to show at those shows. Mm -hmm. And it's basically 
making you aware of what to look for. If you see a situation, which we've all seen, that you suspect might be something, and it gives you tools. Now, dog shows are not an Olympic sport, so we don't have access to the mechanics of the United States Safe Sport Organization. Because like in horses, if somebody files a complaint against a trainer, say, an investigation starts right then. I mean, Safe Sport does a full investigation and you know, sometimes it comes of nothing, and but more often than not, it does. I mean, there's been multiple horse trainers, famous, famous horse trainers, mm-hmm. who have been pulled out of Hall of Fames, who have been kicked out of USEF. I mean, famous trainers. So anyway, this is to sort of try to open people's eyes, make them aware that this is a thing, mm-hmm. which I think some people truly don't. No, I don't know. You probably saw the Canine Chronicle piece that Michael Hill did when he interviewed Stacy and Carissa, which was a powerful, powerful piece, really powerful piece, because I was in on that too. I had so many people come up to me, judges, female mostly, come up to me and say, I had no idea that that kind of thing, that that happened. And it was like, yeah, but the Safe Sport program, essentially, if nothing else, because again, we don't have the teeth of the Safe Sport organization behind it, but it automatically makes all of you mandatory reporters. And I think if we just shine a light on it and make people aware of it, mm-hmm. if it saves one person from having to go through that, yeah. and I think if you put it out in the open more, If everybody's aware of it, it's harder for somebody to creep around in the background and do this stuff because we're aware of it. We're looking for it. You know, I don't know if you've ever talked to Pam Bruce from Canada. Pam and I have had a number of conversations. Because that's what Pam did professionally, you know, with the Toronto PD. And she sees it in a second. Mm -hmm. She sees it like that at a dog show, you know. By putting it out there, and all RHP members have to take it as a condition of membership. Okay. All AKC employees have all now also taken Safe Sport. That's very cool. Yeah, all AKC employees have taken it. I would like to see it spread out to judges, starting with juniors judges maybe. And I was pushing for that. But it was interesting. When it was just the RHP, when it was just us doing it kind of in-house, I mean, we had to get the board's permission to do it Mm -hmm. in-house, but they kind of didn't really pay attention to what we were doing. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden they were paying attention to what we were doing because it got a little higher profile. It was starting to get a little press. People were becoming aware of it. Mm -hmm. Then it started to fall rather than it was just a little thing that we were doing and had a little bit of control over Then the big umbrella of the AKC grabbed it and it became much harder for us to tweak it and manage it because then legal got involved. And, you know, it's much more complicated now. And Pam has done a presentation to the AKC. She's done it for the board. Um, She is a very smart woman and a very good advocate. Yeah, she's really great. I mean, I would like to see it roll out to a broader audience, but that is way above my pay grade now since I have no pay grade 
other than social well, now that you have retired from you know. American Kennel Club and started your career, you're ready to roll. You've been granted the Hound Group. It's one of the gifts. I have. Give you like a Timex watch when you retire from being the executive it, field representative. They still make you pay for it, but they do. Yeah, but listen, the you. amount you pay for it is nowhere near the amount I'm paying for the same thing. I promise you. No, probably not. I probably not. You. Oh, my yeah. God. All right, crew, thank you all for joining us. This has been part one of our episode. Watch this space. Part two will be coming up soon. All right, crew. I hear from folks pretty much daily asking for a specific topic or for a series of podcasts on a topic. So ask and you shall receive. (laughs) I've done all the hard work. I've sorted, searched, and compiled eight different albums from the archives on our most popular topics. And when I say there's a podcast for that, I ain't just a woofin. Getting yours today is super simple. Just jump on puredogtalk.com backslash store and click the PDT Albums image. And when you're in there, you're going to find a collection of veterinary voices. You're going to find a collection for breeding and whelping hands-on. You'll find Pure Dog Talk University on dog breeding. Love the breeds. Up your game. Owner handlers, the interviews, events and sports. There is so much there. And once you're in those links, you'll be able to read the details of the topic. For a special introductory price of a buck ninety-nine, you get a link to dozens, up to more than a hundred episodes on these specific topics. And while you're there, if you or a friend or family member are just getting started, even just starting a search for your first well-bred purebred dog, you can also check out Auntie Laura's Beginner's Guide to Show Dogs at puredogtalk.com backslash book to get the foundational Pure Dog Talk episodes with bonus tracks. So hop on it, y'all. These special prices will not last. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk. 